the one thing the sound guy tells you to do, turn on your mic before you walk on stage. Oops, started this off well, didn't we? All right. So, good morning, Grace. Uh, it's good to see everybody. So we're going to do a little housekeeping before we get started. Um, grab your bulletin if you got one. Turn to the back page, and you'll see nothing on it. So, I, uh, I joked with the first service. I said, so, so I'm supposed to have this in by Friday morning. So I've been taking notes. I knew about this like three months ago. Been working through the book of Colossians, kind of knew my topics. I got up early on Friday and uh, ran, ran through the, the message. 75 minutes. There you go. So I quickly said, hey guys, you're not going to have an outline for the bulletin. I got to figure out something to cut. So if you want more notes... Um, feel free to contact me. I'd be happy to give you my notes, but um, that's why you don't have it. So we're going to work through here um, the whole book of Colossians in hopefully 36 minutes, all right? Doubtful. Didn't happen the first time, but we just went a little bit long, okay? So the reason we're going to do this um, is that through the book of Colossians, you have chapter one, which is a great introduction. You have chapter two, which is this, this heavy meat back and forth of false teaching with exalting Christ, okay? Then you get to chapter three, and chapter three has four verses that Jack read to you guys, and that's where we're going to focus, which is about the choice, all right? Are you setting your mind on the things above, all right? And we're going to walk through in the context of the book why that's there. And then, yes, he goes on to be more practical and tactical um, in the different things, and we'll acknowledge that, um, but we're going to process through the book and, and really hone in on those early verses. So join me in prayer, and then we'll, we'll jump into it. So Lord God, come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, you're good, uh, and you're sufficient. Um, there's nothing lacking in you, Lord God. The fullness of deity dwells in you. Uh, and Lord, we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the revelation. Um, we're grateful that we live in a time uh, where you have been revealed. Uh, Lord, help us to handle this well. Uh, Lord, I do pray uh, that your conviction would be good. Um, I pray that my words would honor you. Um, Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. Um, Lord, use me. Uh, use this time. Uh, and, and Lord, uh, let us leave here convicted. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so jump in with me. We're going to be in chapter 1. So here's what you need to know about the book of Colossians and what we can cover quickly. Um, so, chapter 1 of Colossians, this is about the supremacy of Christ. Whole book of Colossians, that's what it's about, okay? So, when you, when you open up the book, you can grab some passages out of it, but the large flow of Scripture is he's going to talk about how Christ is sufficient. And we'll get into this a lot more in chapter 2, but chapter 1 starts out, he gives his normal greeting, Okay, says, how are you guys? Then in verses 9 through 12, he walks through actually what is this great concept and Paul's desire for maturity. All right, we can't go there. These are pieces that for the sake of time, we have to keep moving. But it is in 9 through 12, Paul going, this is my prayer for you new believers. All right, this is what I desire for you. And he walks through that you would increase in knowledge with both wisdom and understanding, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, that you would be strengthened according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness, that you would bear fruit, okay, and that you would function in gratitude. 
all right? So if you're a young believer, if you're sitting here saying like, what does it look like? There's five points right there, okay? That's Paul saying, my desire for you, young church, is this. Then he transitions and he goes into a description and it's just this like, right? Like, tech, 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 okay? This is who Christ is, okay? He's the image of God. He's the firstborn of creation. In him, all things hold together, okay? Goes through other things. He's the head of the body. The fullness dwells in him. It is a description of all that Christ is. Now, we don't sit here and know exactly why he did it at this point, but what he's done is say, hello, here's my desire for you. This is Christ. Then he discusses a little bit, this is who you are in light of that. And then he says, this is my ministry, right? And at the end of the chapter, he finishes with, with this idea to present every man perfect and complete before Christ, okay? So that's how Paul starts this letter, all right? So keep that in mind. There's this chunk in the middle that lists the characteristics of Christ, okay? Now we're going to, we jump in to chapter 2 to get started, and chapter 2 starts with these words, and just so you know, I, I read out of the NAS. I know this church isn't, it does mostly ESV, so I'm going to be reading off the back screen um, as we go forward. So he starts out chapter 2 this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, okay? So remember, supremacy of Christ, impact on you, this is my ministry, I want you, in my ministry, I want you to know the struggle I have for you, okay? To reach the riches of the fullness of assurance of understanding. I want you to get to the height and depth and breadth of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, okay? So, I want you to get the mystery of God, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is how he starts chapter 2. So he intros us in, and then he says, hey, I want you to get the mystery, right? It's Christ. It's that treasure hidden in a field that you sell everything to go buy the field. It's the pearl of great price that you sell everything to go buy that pearl, right? Matthew 13. What we're looking for is this mystery, this hidden thing that is Christ, okay? Now he starts in as we go into verse 4, and we start down through. There's going to be five of these where he walks through something he warns you of, false teaching, consequence of it, and then he responds to it. And what you're going to find is every time he responds, it's to with an exaltation or it's something about no Christ, okay? It's not think more. It's not read more books. It's not get more educated. It is Christ. All of those things I just said are good, they're wonderful. They're fine. They're not Christ, okay? Now, he's also going to go from a broad understanding, right? So this first one, it says, I say this in order that no one would delude or mislead you, okay? It's this broad idea. We're going to exalt Christ that nobody would be misled, okay? We're going to go from very broad, don't be misled. The fifth one gets all the way down to asceticism, all right? which is depriving your flesh, depriving your body of things for spiritual um, results, okay? He says, D don't do that. Like, we're not going to preach that here, okay? So, he starts broad, and he comes in. So, keep this cadence in your mind. It flows through the whole chapter two, okay? 
Christ is sufficient. So here we go. I say that in order no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Therefore, as you received Christ, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Okay? You want to know how to not be misled. Right? This is written to a set of believers inside of a church. You want to know how to not go astray, how to not be misled? In the simplicity that you came to know Christ, walk in him. That's it. Walk in him. Right? We start broad. You want to be misled? Walk with Christ. Next one, we jump to uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. Okay, here's our second example. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty, de empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary, and this one says spirits, mine says principles of this world. So remember the first one, don't be deluded, walk with Christ. Okay, next one, don't be taken captive. This kind of has this picture of in general you're misled. The next one is by these worldly things. So Paul's saying to the Colossian church, in general, don't get distracted from Christ. Don't be misled. Then he goes, the world's going to offer you some things. Philosophies, empty deception, the tradition of man. Right? These are some things that are outside of the church. And so how do we combat that? What's our response? Remember, keep that. Don't do this. What's our response? For in him, or according to Christ, for in him the fullness of deity dwells, and, and, he, uh, and in him you have been made complete, or he is filled, who is the head of all rule and authority. Okay? We're continuing to build on this idea. Don't be misled. Hey, church, you can be misled. Hey, church, you, you can be totally off and be here today thinking you're pleasing God and be flat wrong. Okay? Then he goes, don't be taken captive. So we can sit here and all of us can look at each other and be super like, content. Like, look at this body of believers. And among us are people who are candidly captivated. You're held by the things of this world. We're going to work through them. Apathy, fear, culture. Like, but you're held. You're captive. And, and how do you get out of it? It's, it's not anything other than Christ. He keeps always coming back to Christ. Now, there are things that can help, and there's counseling, and I don't want to downplay any of that, but it has to be Christ-centered, period. Make sense? The fullness of deity dwells in him. It doesn't deal in philosophy outside of that. It dwells in him, okay? So then he continues on through, I just have up here verse 10, he continues on a, like lifting Christ, what he has done for you all the way to verse 16. And so we end up in verse 16. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food, drink, or with regard to festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay? So if we were to look at all the Old Testament things, and God does this multiple times, you can look at Isaiah 1, you can look at Isaiah 58, you can look at a ton of Ezra and Nehemiah where they're calling these things out. What you have is God established things in the Old Testament that are meant to point to Jesus, right? And it's been mentioned many times in the church. Jack has done this, right? How many days was Jonah in the belly of the whale? 
three, what's that a picture of? Christ, okay? It's called types and shadows. That's what's there, okay? The blood on the doorposts at Passover. What is that meant to represent? Christ, worthy is the lamb who was slain, right? Like, that's what it's meant to be. So he calls out here, let no one be your judge in these things. He specifically mentions festivals, feasts, Sabbaths, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, okay? These religious activities, and he's going to get even deeper as we go forward. But in these religious activities, let no one judge you on them because the substance is who? Christ, okay? All the way from the Old Testament until now, the things that we do, take communion here. It's Christ. If you think communion will do something for you, and, and it can, God can minister to you in a powerful way, but the substance of communion is not the bread and the juice. The substance of it is Christ. Make sense? So we go forward. So to go into verse 18 now, and this one is going to flow into each other, but it says, let no one disqualify you. Right? So through the whole chapter, we have these phrases where he's saying, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. And every response is, watch out, fight it with Christ. Watch out, fight it with Christ. Okay? So this one, let no one disqualify you. Assisting in asceticism. Once again, depriving my body. All right? Depriving it of the senses that I would be more spiritual. Okay? Let no one do that. Drop down two lines in what's here. It says, not holding fast to the head. Who is he referencing? Chapter 1, the head of the church, right? So when you come in here, don't be defrauded. Don't think that what we're doing here in church is about the activities. Don't think that it's about the religious fervor that's here. Know this, it has to be about the head, right? And Paul's writing this to a set of believers that could be deluded, captive, being judged, and here disqualified. This can be true for us. Make sense? So then we go to the next one, and he flips it. So remember, in the first four points, he says, deluded, walk with Christ, right? And it follows that form until this fifth one. In this fifth one, he switches it around. And he says, if with you being dead, if you died to the elementary spirits of this world. So he's saying you were dead, right? So he flips the form, okay? The critique is, why is if you are still alive in God, do you submit yourself to regulations according to human precepts and teachings? Okay, so he asks the question, why are you submitting your th yourself to things and activities that candidly have the appearance of godliness, they have the appearance of being a believer, but they're not Christ. You're submitting yourself to those things. And then he finishes up, but they are of no value in indulgence of the flesh. Okay? He's building up this narrative through all of chapter 2 in which we see, don't be deluded, don't be captive, don't be judged on these things. And the, the antidote to all of that is Christ. It's Christ. So as we look at a summary here real quick, remember, let's go back to the structure. 
I walk you through, we see Christ exalted in the middle of chapter one. We see some of the implication on you. Then we see Paul defending his ministry, no different than he would do in Galatians, Ephesians, and the Corinthians. Okay, he's gonna defend his ministry. This is why I can say this to you. And then he starts going through, don't be taken advantage of. Don't fall to these false teachers. Whether it's being deluded, whether it's being captive, whatever it is, don't fall for it. The antidote is Christ. Okay? So then we hit chapter 3. And this is where he walks in. He says, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Okay? So how do we become not deluded? It's Christ. It's Christ. How do you become not captive? It's Christ. Right? How do you not fall subject to the judgment of others? Well, it's Christ. How do you not get disqualified? It's Christ. Do you get the picture? He's so supreme that he's the answer to how I stay in the proper mindset that I actually have mental acuity in the situations that are needing it. And then he sums it up and gives us this activity of, so then you start seeking the things above, set your mind on the things above, and he recalls a fact that you were dead. And we're going to walk through each of these, kind of an implication of it, and then, then we'll actually get super practical with each other in the room, okay? But... For those who want more tactics, like what does this mean for me, right? Paul actually goes on to describe it in the balance of chapter 3 and on to number 4. So I'm going to give you a quick summary of that right here. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly, okay? This gets into all those, those things. It's just a normal list of sin. And then it says, put on, okay? You'll recall like two years ago, Jack did a sermon with Christmas sweaters, and he said, put on these things, compassionate, gracious, those type of things, okay? So put to death, put on. Let the word of God richly dwell. Do everything in the name of the Jesus. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love. Children, obey. Fathers, don't provoke. Bondservs, obey. Masters, treat justly and fairly. And then he finishes out the rest of the chapter four with salutations. Hey, can this guy bring a coat type thing, right? That's the whole book of Colossians. So he walks through and he has these pieces of don't be deceived, it's Christ. Then he addresses your mindset. Then he addresses the practical items, okay? We don't have time to get into the practicals. I would encourage you to read the rest of the time. We're going to actually focus on mindset as we go forward, okay? So we'll go back up now into 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God three phase phrases that we're going to focus on, okay? And we're going to actually tar- start to figure out how do I practically do this, okay? Now, my intention here is that we're going to talk about practically how to do it, and it's going to be story-ish, okay? Not like, it's going to be conceptual. There you go. We're going to talk about it in a concept. And then candidly, I'm going to bring up with you some major issues that are inside of the church. And they're in grace, and they're in the U.S. church. They might be in the global church, the little bit that I've dealt with of them. But we're actually going to have to call out these things. 
because it's just necessary, okay? So, first thing, seek the things above where Christ is seated. Okay, why does it say to seek the things above where Christ is seated, okay? What's the significance of where Christ is seated? Very candidly, what did he do for you? Next slide, please. What did he do for you? What did it take for him to be seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father? It's his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a simple fact that you and I are so broken that we had to have a Savior to come and rescue us. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is true of you. If you haven't come to recognize this, this is the gospel. You're a sinner desperately in need of Christ. You are. And if you've come to know him, praise God, thank him for his grace. But when you wake up in the morning, you cannot put on a form of arrogance that says, I know how to live this life. You have to take a posture of humility to set your mind on the things above. You have to take this posture that says, I will seek and I will find that what you sacrificed for. I'm losing my earpiece. All right, is that better? Okay, I will seek and I will find that that set you on the throne, okay? I will live my life in light of the activities that you've done. Next thing he says is to set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Okay? There's a difference that has to happen. You and I live lives that must be evaluating what is eternal and what is of this world. What is above and what is below. If we're not evaluating this, what you end up with is this unevaluated middle ground that really doesn't do anything for you. If I live in the middle, not evaluating that which is above and that which is below, then I'm stuck going, well, I guess I can justify this. This has some form of godliness. And, and, and I can maybe figure out how to manipulate it and redeem it instead of stepping back and saying, no, what is this of the world? What is this of God? Okay, so when we say set your mind or we say seek the things, first of all, seek the things above. I want and I would love, and we're, I'm going to fail this as bad as anybody, and we'll get to that here shortly, okay? I want to live my life as if the actions that I live today, the relationships that I function in, are categorized by knowledge of what he's done. That's how I go above. The second thing is, I want to live a life that evaluates the spread and the difference between what is heavenly, eternal, Christ-like, and what is of this world? If I don't evaluate that, if I don't think through that process, I'm ignorant in the middle. Okay? 
So it is candidly, you're going into a relationship that's hard. What is of this earth? What is of Christ? You're walking into a business deal. What is of earth? What is of Christ? You're evaluating a job. You're evaluating a spouse. You're evaluating your parenting techniques. I have to evaluate what is of earth, what is of Christ. And at the moment that I begin to understand what is of Christ, that's what I think about, right? That awkward relationship where you're like, man, every one of these have gone wrong. Every one of these have gone wrong. And you sit here and you go, man, I better be defensive. I'm only going to give them so much information. I want to get out of there as quick as I can. Maybe I can get, hey, how about somebody call me in like 15 minutes so that I can get out of this, right? Or you sit there and you say, do you know how many times he's forgiven me? Do you know how many times I've wounded him, I've hurt him, and yet I sit here and want to avoid this person while he came from heaven to die for me, right? See the difference? In that conversation, the one where I'm trying to avoid and I'm trying to preserve myself is earthly. You look nothing like Jesus. And the other person will be pretty clear about that eventually. In the one where I sit here and I go, this person needs a type. This person needs Christ. Now my mind is set above. It's not set on me. It's not set on the brokenness of that individual. I'm personally accountable to thinking as if Christ were present. The last thing that he draws out here is for you died. Okay? For the believers in this room, you've made a confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Okay? This is not McJesus. Okay? This isn't, I'll take the salvation, but please leave aside the Lordship. Right? This isn't, I'll take the comfort, I'll take the kindness, I'll take the wonderful things that he offers me, the blessings, but please leave aside the calling out of sin. Please leave aside that awkward thing that I want to hold on to myself. This isn't it. If you made a profession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is a package deal. See, Paul's not sitting here and saying, hey, I encourage you to do this. Paul says, you've done this. Set your mind above, because you, you said you were. You said that you were going to be a part of it, right? That sin that keeps nagging you, that thing, that, that relationship, once again, that's just broken and you just want to avoid it and get out of it, all that type of stuff. No, 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 no. Remember, you died. That's dead. You are to now live differently. Okay? So, as we look to set our mind, in summary here, three things. Live today, think today, in the every situation. Think through this. What did he do for you? Live in light of it. Evaluate the difference between eternal and this world and make a choice about it. And remember, this is, the, this is what you signed up for. He died, for he died. This is your profession of faith, okay? Now, this is where we're, we're going to start, uh, this is where we go to the next one and we start going, okay, what are the competing mindsets, okay? So, this is done, and Jack called it out last time uh, in the first service. This is done in love, okay? 
I'm guilty of all of these things, okay? Competing mindset that you are going to struggle with in this church. Apathy, ignorance, and fear. Sorry to the sound guy again. Apathy, ignorance, and fear, okay? In a church this big, I don't know all of you, it would be ignorant of me to think that some of you are sitting here saying, I wish the gay on stage would just be quiet. I come here just for the kids. Religion's good for the kids, okay? Candidly, some of us don't care in general. And in a situation that you approach, sometimes you just don't care to be like Christ. I don't either, okay? What this looks like practically in our life is that, that honestly, somebody's hurt you. And you're going to walk into that relationship and, and you're going to have a scowl on your face. And they're going to know you're not thrilled to be here. And you think you're somehow emotionally justified in confirming to them, yeah, I know what you did. Right? That's apathetic towards the things of Christ. Okay? Once again, I've done that. Another one. We're going to talk about evangelism. How many of you guys, and once again, guiltiest person here, okay? How many of you guys have been in a conversation and you sit here and you go, I should really share with this person. I should pray with them. I should talk to them about it. And you keep your mouth shut and you do nothing about it for fear of awkwardness next time. I've done it. And I guarantee you, a majority of you in this room have done it as well. See, here's the reality of my soul in that state. You can judge yourself, but I bet it's similar. The reality of my soul is, at that moment, I favored my comfort the next time over the eternity of somebody's soul. I did it. It wasn't about the tactic. I know how to have conversations with people. I know how to share the Romans road. I know how to share my testimony. It was my mind, right? It was apathetic, okay? Ignorance. You've never known better. Now, here's the thing. That one has a little bit of an excuse, but if we were to go through the book of Proverbs, okay, the person who is both foolish and naive actually get the same consequence. The one is the, the other person is just ignorant, right? One makes bad decisions. One doesn't know how to make good decisions, but the consequence is there, okay? Practical example for the younger people in the room. You're a long, young lady trying to evaluate what does a good husband look like? How should I find a good husband? Well, you have some choices in this one. Like, you could be apathetic. Like, you could just not care what God thinks and go pursue it. Or the next one is that you could honestly, like, want to please God, but you're ignorant of it. Right? Both of those situations can lead to the same thing. Now, one of them, you sit here and you're like, ah, oh, I want to help this person. That's the ignorant person, right? This is where discipleship steps in. Okay? We make active choices in our mind when we know what we should do with Christ we know how we should live, and we'll actively sit here and choose different, right? Now, my point here is not to point blame. It's not to sit here and say, come on, right? It is to say, seek the things above. But it's also to call out this, like, humble candor with each other to say, hey, the next time, like, to everybody in this room, the next time that you fail to share your faith because you're scared, like, maybe God can tell you not to share your faith. There are times when that happens. It's not the dominant thing, but there are times where God can say, just be quiet, I'm working on that person, okay? And once again, it's not the dominant time in your life. 
But the next time that you don't do that, I do want you to walk away and just say, I was apathetic. I cared more about the awkwardness tomorrow than I cared about that person's soul. Right? Have that in your mind. Because it's true of us. Okay? The next thing I want, so these are these mindsets, okay, that we want to exalt Christ in. Right? These are these are these competing mindsets. The next one that I want us to go through is Christian association versus intent. Okay? Now I'm going to make a controversial statement right now, and then you've got to let me make the second statement. All right? No gas, no oohs and alls until I make the second one. All right? Grace Community Church will never reach Newton. The people of Grace Church can reach Newton. Grace Church never will. You see, we have an agency problem. That agency problem is actually meaning who's responsible to do something about it, right? Who's responsible to take the gospel to Newton? Well, I I love the fact that you're here. I love the fact that you're present. This is a wonderful thing. But just because you're here does not mean that you're actually taking the gospel into the community. Does that make sense? Welcome. Come in. Be a part of what we're doing. But understand there's a way to live that is different than I'm a part of it and something that says I'm going out to accomplish it. Right? What this one looks like, there's a a mentor of mine, Mr. Bill Moyer, lives in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, He, uh, fantastic impact in my life. One of the things we were discussing was how to be a portrait of Christ to the lost, okay? Very candidly, Christian community can actually distract from the pursuit of the lost. You can get your life so full of Christian community at small group and every social activity that you have and every friend that your kid has and all these type of things that you honestly have no margin for lost people. It's just reality. And Mr. Moyer's caution to me as I was a a college-age kid, he said, understand that a believer who is so consumed with Christianity and the things of Christianity that they do not go to the lost is like Jesus Christ remaining in heaven and not going to the broken. That's the parallel. You see, you and I can be so full of this fellowship and what is good, and we can think, man, my Christian life is robust and good. And the reality is, you don't actually look like Christ because you're holed up in fellowship, which is good. But Christ had to leave heaven. He had to go to the broken. This is a pretty strong critique. But it's true of us. If you're not actually pursuing the broken, it's very, very, very hard to look like Christ. Okay? Discipleship. Once again, my time is so full that I don't have to pass on the faith. Okay? Now, personal holiness. Another thing we deceive ourselves with in these mindsets. Okay? Um, Look, I go to church, but I don't control my mouth. Go to church. I have an anger issue. 
I go to church. I don't control my lust, right? I participate in something, but I don't look like Christ, right? If we go back to Colossians 2, look, did I, did I not fast, right? This is going to be in, in a feature, or Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 58. Is it, did I not fast for you? Did I not celebrate the feasts for you? And then he turns all of it around and it goes to you personally, right? See, you and I can take this Christian walk and be in the presence of each other and it is good and it is fruitful and it is absolutely necessary to the Christian walk. But it's not an excuse for you to not live intentionally with the gospel, okay? Last one I want to address with you guys as these thought processes that interrupt us is this idea of cultural justification, okay? So there's this meshing that has happened in the American church. So let, let me give you a picture. In the Old Testament, Jesus references these type of things. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to set these people apart, okay? And they're, they're not going to mix threads in their garments. They're not going to crossbreed their cattle, right? They're not going to eat fish or ocean-dwelling things that don't look like a fish, right? A fish should have scales, right? So we're not going to do that. It's a sign of purity. It's a sign of holiness. It's a sign of being set apart. It's a sign of being different, okay? Our culture today tries to take that which of the world and that which is of God, and we try to figure out how can I blend the two of these? How can I be entertained by the things of this world? How can I be entertained by the people and the culture that is out there and walk with Christ. Okay? Now, some of those things out there, they could be good, bad, and they could be indifferent. But the perspective should never be, how do I bring these together? How do I entertain myself with that of the world while still walking with Christ? The correct answer is, how do I focus on following Christ and what should be entertaining to me? Okay? It's a different vantage point. It doesn't matter if you're not able to talk about that at the cooler with your in work. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you go into school and you don't know the songs that everybody's singing. It doesn't matter. Because, see, I'm called to think about the eternal things. I'm called to be here to image Christ. I, I, I don't want to draw hard lines but we think about it wrongly. We don't start from the standpoint of what is eternal? What should I be seeking? Does this match? We come from a, I like this. This is good. I can make it eternal. Okay? I'm going to hit the idolatry or the idol of sports. Okay? Listen, I love sports would have played D1 ball if I could have passed a physical, okay? Love sports. Um, it teaches teamwork. It teaches discipline. It teaches how a good leadership skill. It teaches how to rise up under sufferings and trials. And I would agree with you. And parents, me included, it also teaches your kids that you will be inconvenienced for everything dealing with sports, but you will not be inconvenienced for the gospel. Okay? I will make every practice. 
I will quit work to make sure I make it to the game. But your kids have never seen you weep over the lost. Your kids have never seen you actually go out and share. Right? That's what we're doing. It's good. I love teamwork. I love discipline. I, I, I love good leadership from the coaching, right? Get out of my kid more than they can give themselves. That's fantastic. But the problem is, that's not Christ. That's an idol. Treat it for what it is. Reconcile it in your life. Okay? Last one here is, is a moral comparison. And this is something that happens... Um, I'll say our, us Midwesterners are pretty decent at it, especially people who tend to watch a lot of the 24-hour news cycle, right? It's this idea of like, won't happen here, uh-uh, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, okay? So it, the, the standard we compare to is Christ's likeness. If we want to sit here and compare my moral capabilities against the moral capabilities of the rest of this world, who cares? Right? There's cultural pieces here in Newton, Kansas. Like, it, okay. Compassion candor, compassionate candor, whatever the character trait is that Jack will probably address after I get done. Okay? There's, you, you can almost push yourself to a point of manipulation and stealing around money and justify it as thriftiness, which is comparable to godliness. Culturally, that's wrong. If you're manipulating to get a better deal, and that happens, guys, but you want to sit here and say, well, that'll never happen. We'll never have chaos like that. You're right, because you're morally broke yourself and you'll pick a different chaos. Okay? These are the things that we struggle with. These are the realities. So if Paul were to take the letter and write Colossians to us, he probably wouldn't be talking about asceticism. He probably wouldn't be. But he would be sitting here and saying, your mindset is wrong. Okay, so what do we do about it? Right? I'm going to finish with two points here. Confession and repentance. Right? Confession. Confession is a recognition of the standard of God. And it is a recognition of where I am at in relation to that standard. I do it both between myself and God, and I do it with other people. Okay? Here's why confession is so important to us as believers. To my kids, I'll, I'll use myself. To my kids, I am supposed to be a portrait of Christ. Right? When my kids transition out of my house, they should say, I know how to walk with God. I've lived under Andrew's house. Make sense? High standard. Okay? I should be that portrait, right? When I fall short of that, if I still say, you should follow me, and I'm the example of Christ, and I fall short of that, I lessen the standard of Christ. When I practice confession, I can, even with my kids, I can say, this is the good standard, and I fall short. Short story for you guys. This was a couple years ago. I regularly ask my daughters. Um, I got six of them. Only four of them get the question. The other two are two years old and really it's not very constructive at this point. I ask them, where have I done that I failed you? Where have I done that I hurt you? And this one time, 
uh, my third one, Kate, comes up to me and, she, and simple, right? She goes, hey, Dad, you remember that medallion that went on my slipper? So she had princess slippers, and she busted the medallion off the top. She goes, remember that? You told me you'd put it back on, and you haven't. I failed the image of Christ in that moment. But by welcoming her into the conversation, I could sit here and say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I failed you. I didn't keep my word. I didn't keep the standard. But what I want you to know about God is that he'll never, ever, 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 ever do that. Right? See, in that failure of mine, I was able to preach the, the gospel to my daughter because I showed the gap and I lifted the standard up properly. Okay? Some of the things that we've talked about here today, I, I hope that they hit you. These are the things that I worked through and said, okay, God, what, what are these things? There's multiple others, but they probably have a too much Andrew flavor in them. Okay? These are the things. If they've hit you and you walk out of here and you go, hey, that was good, and you do not practice confession, it will be lost on you. It just will. Because you fail to sit here and recognize that. Now, where the power comes in is you not humbly, quietly in your prayers confessing it, but you actually saying to somebody else, here's where I fall short right? Here's where I fall short, okay? So then the other piece is repentance, and it's turning, and this is where you get to take complete ownership of the process. This is on you. Do you desire to set your, your mind on the things above? It's a mindset, and, and please don't walk out of here, and the next time that you and your knowledge go, I know what Christ thinks, and I know what is of the world, and I choose the world, then I want you to think I'm apathetic because that's your state, right? Now, once again, this is done in love, but it's done intentionally, okay? We want to be a people in grace that strive for the things of Christ, that share him actively, that demonstrate what it is like to live as a believer, and these are the things we have to practice. So please wrestle. Let me pray. Lord, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for today. Um, thank you for Christ. Thank you for the picture that he is. Um, and thank you that he is the fullness of the image of God. Lord, that there is nothing lacking. We thank you so much that we have that picture. Um, Lord, I do pray as we leave here, um, be known, be in our conversations. Uh, Lord, let us be a people a people quick to confess and quick to repent. Um, and Lord, do go before us. Um, go before us and give an opportunity to image you well. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.